Can you guys hear me okay? Yeah. Good. Um, let's see if I can do this with a mask. I'm impressed. You guys sounded really good. We had some technical problems at the start, and hopefully we're getting a good recording for the folks that aren't able to come tonight. Still a number of people. and So thankful to Crossroads Baptist Church for letting us use their space. And they basically want us to be able to use it anytime we need to and want to, and um, which is super generous of them. And it's pretty cool because this church has been here a long time. And But there's actually two other churches behind our church at Crossroads that actually use this facility. There's another uh, church that meets after lunch on Sundays and then one that meets in the evening on Sundays. So now we got four churches um, all in this one building. Um, so anyway, I'm glad you guys are able to come uh, tonight, shifting to Saturday nights. And... Um, We'll be here for the next few months anyway, depending on weather and all that kind of stuff for the spring. But if you guys want to open up to Mark chapter 7, uh, pull out your Bible. I'd love for you guys to be able to follow along uh, with us. We're continuing in our study through Mark. And uh, I'm going to go ahead and read it here first. Before I do that, let me, let me go ahead and pray. Um, our God in heaven, Lord, we, we do humbly come before you. Be, uh, Lord, I pray that you, our hearts would be transformed and changed by uh, what you have for us, Lord, in your word and your truth. And um, God, we want to be more like you and be, we want the old to, to pass away and we want the new to come on us. And God, your spirit is going to move through your word tonight in hearts the way you want it to. And so we ask that you would do that, God. Help us to not have hardened hearts like we saw last week in the text, but, Lord, hearts that are open to what you want to teach us, Lord. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So Mark chapter 7, I'm going to read 1 through 23. It says, Now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, <clears throat> Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders? But eat with defiled hands. And he said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you, hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their hearts is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And he said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corban, that is, given to God. Then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and many such things you do. And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that have come out of a person are what defile him. 
And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whoever goes into a person, whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him since it enters not his heart, but his stomach and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. You know, as we've been going through Mark, I feel like one of the big themes that's come up a lot is just this idea of who is Jesus? You know, what... who. What's his identity? Who is he? Is, is, is he really the son of God as it, claim, as it claims in Mark chapter 1? Is, uh, is he the, the creator of the world? Is he the God who rescued the nation of Israel out of slavery in Egypt? And you know, as we looked at last week, how it alluded to the big idea of, of rescuing them across the Red Sea and then feeding them in the wilderness and then leading them into the promised land. Is he that person? And if he is that person, then that means that he also gets to say what is right and what is wrong. What's, what's moral, what's immoral, what, what's righteous <clears throat> and what's not righteous. And I think that oftentimes, though, we may decide and believe that he is the son of God, but we don't let him rule our lives. And I'm gonna, I've got the big idea for this text. I'm going to put it up on the screen it says, God sets the standard of righteousness, and that standard begins and ends with our heart. This is the summary. This is how I would summarize this passage. God sets the standard of righteousness, and that standard begins and ends with our heart. In this passage, he's dealing with these religious leaders, right? It's, it's really easy for us to look on them in such a way where like, I mean, you know, I, I remember as a kid reading through the Old Testament and thinking like, what in the world are the Jewish people thinking? How could they be so dumb? So, but we need to approach this like, okay, God's got something here for us. I can be that Pharisee. Any of us can be that Pharisee. And they're doing the opposite of this. They're setting the standard. And they're behaving in a way like externally that's faking it. Right? So they're living by their own standard, not by God's standard, and they're living in a way that's just faking it. I'm faking it and pretending to be obedient to God, when in reality, I'm not. And, and Jesus is not going to allow them to live in that lie. He's not going to let them to pretend and fool themselves on what's good. And, and, and by the way, you know, we've been, as we've been walking through Mark and we've asked questions of Mark each week, like, what does this teach me about God? Well, here's one thing that it teaches us about God is that he is gracious. He is gracious to extend an olive branch and a chance to the Pharisee, to the person who thinks they're fine and I've got it all together in every way. And again, this passage, Jesus is talking to the, the self-righteous and he is challenging them. And, and, and I want us to be challenged the same, same way. Okay, let's, let's not stand back and just look in judgment at the Pharisees. Let's ask ourselves, okay, it, am I like that sometimes? 
Can I, can I be like these Pharisees and scribes? Where I'm establishing myself what the standard of good is. Like I've defined it myself. And or I'm also just kind of faking it on the outside. But my heart is far from them. I'm doing from God. I'm doing whatever I can. And I am completely capable of that. I mean, I'm, I think I'm doing that all the time. I think every week. That is us. That is very much us. And I, I just want to note here that just why is this so important? Why is it so important that we get this? And we got to re be reminded, and I've said this many times through Mark, what's the message of Jesus? What does he say his purpose and message is? Go back to Mark 1.15. He says, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand Repent and believe in the gospel. The message is to repent and to believe in the gospel. And if you guys have been in church very long, you know that the word gospel means good news, right? It means good news. The word repent means I got to change direction. Stop doing that and turn from it. I think you'd call the repent part of it bad news. It's the bad news. We don't fully appreciate the good news of the gospel until we fully appreciate the bad news first. That I need the good news. And one way, to, I think, to think about this is like the gospel is the destination. That's where God wants to take us. But like, if you know where you're going, that's only half of the equation. What's the other thing you need to know before you can navigate somewhere? You got to know where you are, right? I got to understand where I'm at. That's what this whole text, this whole thing we're looking at is, it is all focusing on, unfortunately, the bad news. I mean, it's like to really recognize that this is who I am, this is where I might be, so that I can navigate to the place that God has me to go. That's why it's so important for us to understand that. And then also remember uh, some of the things that Jesus has said to the Pharisees in, uh, previously in Mark, back in chapter 2. <clears throat> Verses 16 and 17. It says, And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician. But those who are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. It, in other words, if we don't recognize where we are, if we don't recognize our need, you know, anybody that's sick but doesn't admit and acknowledge that they're sick, they don't get help. They don't get help. They say, I don't need to go to the doctor. I'm completely fine. And other people can say, no, you, you, you need to go to the doctor. It's like, it doesn't really matter what they need if they don't understand what they need. And again, like I said before, let's, let's, let's step back and let's be okay with saying, okay, I might be a Pharisee sometimes. I think as Christians, we, by definition, when you've accepted the gospel, you, you have rejected this idea of like, I'm going to earn my way to heaven, right? You've gotten that. But that doesn't mean that we can't step back into it 
And I believe we do it all the time. I know I do, and I'm sure that you do as well. So let's recognize our sickness, and let's, okay, let's look at what do these religious leaders do. Two big things. Number one, they are setting their own standards of righteousness. They are setting their own standards of righteousness. It's the opposite of the first part of my big idea there. God sets the standard. The Pharisees are saying, no, no, no. I set the standard. I set the standard. Okay, God, you can have some input. I'll, I'll, I'll let you, you know, get a look at my first draft. But I'm the one that decides what the standard is. I'm the one that does that. So let's, look through, let's walk through this passage. It says, now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, these guys are like, I think it's like several days journey from Jerusalem. And we already know in earlier parts of, of, of Mark that the Pharisees and scribes and leadership in the religious world, they had decided in who Jesus was in their mind. Remember, they said, he must be of the devil. They'd already made a determination. So they're not traveling to Jesus to, with an open mind to, let's see what he has to say. No, they are like, these old guys are like walking halfway across the way. I don't know how far it was. To get to him just to judge him. Just to judge him and to judge his disciples. He says they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled. That is unwashed for the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly. Holding to the tradition of the elders. When they came from the marketplace... They do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, you know, washing these other things going on. Now, keep in mind, though, that this washing, I mean, here we are in a pandemic. I mean, we, we're all about washing right now. Um, we wash our hands a lot, right? Um, by the way, we've got some hand sanitizer in the back there if you need any. Uh, if you get wigged out at all, and like I need to go bathe myself in it. But anyway, this is not about health or medicine. Uh, you know, in these days... They didn't understand anything about microbiology. They didn't know there was such a thing as viruses and, and bacteria in these days. This washing is, is ceremonial. It's about uh, being righteous in their minds. So these are the things that we have to do in order to be good. To be good. Um, and what's happened here is that they've actually modified some of the rules that God gave them to suit their, their, their plans. So... They're actually nitpicking what's going on with the disciples. <clears throat> and so they ask this question. Verse 5, the Pharisees and the scribes ask them, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? Now, again, they don't mean like there's dirt on their hands. Like they're ceremonially, religiously defiled. Your disciples haven't done what you're supposed to do in order to be a good person, to be a righteous person. They made their own standards. And then Jesus answers them in verse 6. Uh, and he said to them, Well, did I say a prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written. Now, he's called them hypocrites because, here's the answer, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. In other words, you say you are following me, but in your heart, you're not. That's a hypocrite. That's the definition of a hypocrite. 
Um, you leave the commandment of God and hold the tradition of men. I mean, just think about that, how big that is. It's like, God, I'm not going to follow what you want. I'm just going to do what these guys want. That's, that's straight up what Jesus is saying to them. And then verse 9, And he said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. Again, you're like, you don't want to do what I told you to do. You want to do what you want. So it's like, and then he gives them an example of that. He says, for Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father and his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corban, that is given to God. Then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down and many such things you do. This, what this is, is he quotes from the Old Testament. Honor your father and mother. He, talk, he quotes from the Old Testament. The consequences were pretty stiff for not honoring your father and mother. But then he references this thing called Corbin, which was this extra tradition that they added on. And essentially what it is, it's like your, your, your elderly parents are in need, financial need. You've got the money and the wherewithal in order to help them. But in order to avoid helping them, which God commanded, honor your father and mother, they said, well, I'm actually, this money that I would normally give over there, I'm actually dedicated to God. So God, obviously, is more important than my parents, so I'm good, right? I mean, it was a way for them to avoid doing what they wanted to do. And Jesus is saying, you guys are hypocrites, and you're actually disobeying what I command you to do. It's not just adding on to God's law, but they're actually a new set of standards that makes them disobey and disregard what God had already commanded in their life. Now, is this the kind of thing that we do today? Do we set our own standards of righteousness and morality? I think absolutely. I mean, we have community standards. I think there, there are community and cultural standards of what we would call a good person. Right? I think you could go out here on the street and ask somebody. You could give them examples of a lifestyle. It's like you could show them, okay, here's a high schooler that works hard and they get all their grades and all their, all their, their assignments in on time and get good grades and obey and follow their teachers, do what they want. And then there's this other kid who, yeah, it's like, okay, not great. And it's like the whole world say, well, one of them's good and one of them's bad. It's like this is a standard we put on. We just throw it on there. We have people that are all over our, our community that, that say, okay, I, I pay my taxes. I mow my lawn. I pay my bills. I'm a good neighbor, a good citizen, all these kinds of things. And in their mind, I am a good person because I've achieved good person status. All along, disrespect to their parents, brokenness in the marriage, selfishness, greed, all these kinds of stuff that's going on. But everybody looks on their life and say, man, you've got it together. You've got it just fine. There's no problem with you. Or think about like today with politics. I mean, tribalism is just so crazy right now. In tribalism, it is perfectly okay to tell lies, but not okay to be disloyal to the tribe. So that's the standard. Right? It's like, 
as long as you're loyal to our guys and our friends, you're a good person. It doesn't matter how you attack the other side. You can tell lies about them. That's perfectly okay. Because we have our own standards, all complete standards of what it means to be a good person. Or even think about the, the Corbin thing. You know, I, I've, heard, I've heard people, Christians before, say like, you know, I, I, I do not want to. I will never give to churches because so much money gets wasted on buildings and pastor salaries and all those kinds of things. It'd be so much better if people gave to the poor. That's, that's what we need to do. But, but then if you dig into a little bit, you find out they're not actually doing that. Right? So it's like in the same way they're saying this money is dedicated to God. But they're not actually doing anything with it for God. I mean, that, that is completely in line with this idea of Corbin. You guys have maybe heard people talk that way. Or think about, I mean, there's so many huge mega, past, mega church pastors that have fallen in the last few years. And you hear about the stories after the fact, and you find out there's all these people that knew about what was going on. What's going on with that? What's up with that? It's, it's people that are close to them who see the good that's happening and say, well, there's all these good things that are happening in that church, so let's, we just have to deal with the problem. That's, that's a whole other standard. That's not God's standard. That's a whole other standard. You know, and, and I think it's, it's something that we, again, we wrestle with a lot. We have got our own personal, personal lists of what it means to be good. As long as I'm doing those things and as long as I'm not doing those things, I'm fine. I mean, just a couple weeks ago, I was talking to a, a, a mom who had an older son. I think he's in his 20s now. But she was just lamenting how he's doing really good now, but he had like a a period of time in his high school years where he was like a total rebel. And she said that even today, there's families and Christian families that have judged him. And even though he's completely repented and turned his life around, he still is that kid that did those things. And it's that, that kind of thing, right? It's like, this is who you are. And we've decided that thing you did is extra bad. Whereas all the other things that we just culturally say are okay. It is culturally okay to live for yourself and to be selfish and to treat yourself. And all these kinds of ideas even that marketing tells us, right? I mean, it's like, that's the standard. That's a different standard than what God has us. And the second thing the Pharisees are doing is they are ignoring the heart. They are ignoring the heart. And the heart is gigantic in God's truth. Let's just walk through that passage real quick. And he called the people to him again. He said to him, hear me, all of you, and understand. This to me is a really bold statement that he's about to make. It is bold. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile them. This, this kid I was telling you about that had this rough time in high school, his, his big sin was he smoked pot a little bit. And that basically was it. Okay, you smoked pot, now you're a bad person. What does Jesus say here? That's not what made you a bad person. Because that's something that's outside of your body that you brought into you. 
Nothing that is outside of your body that gets sucked into your lungs defiles you. I mean, it's like, that's pretty bold, isn't it? That's, it's like, I don't know if I'm really comfortable with that. Is that, is that cool? Um, other drugs? I mean, it's like, is there a line here? I mean, let's keep going. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that wherever, that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him? Since it enters not his heart, but his stomach and is expelled. Middle schoolers do not laugh right now. Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, what comes from out of the person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. Jesus is like, guys, what I care about is your heart. And, and, and we see that theme throughout scripture, right? God cares about our hearts. You know, God said to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Not, not part of it. All of your heart. You know, he, he said, where your heart is, there is where your treasure is. I mean, remember the passages that we looked at in James? It's like, what causes these quarrels and fights among you? Like, why are you fighting? It's because of the passions and the desires that rage within you. That's the problem. The root of our problem is, our, is in our hearts. Like, where does the sin start? It doesn't start from something that comes from the outside. It starts from inside. And, and guys, I, I have seen this so many times with, with in, like, just take the issue of parenting. Just parenting. I mean, basically every parent, for the most part, except for me, I, I never had this problem. <laughs> they think that their kids are amazing. Like, <laughs> Emma set us up well. <laughs> and we think that my kid is only going to be bad if something from the outside comes into their life. And they completely miss the truth that every ounce of evil and sin is already embedded in that heart that needs a new, new heart. I mean, there needs to be a heart transplant of their life. If that child does not become a Christian, then all they're going to do is grow up to be a hypocrite. I mean, they could be living the perfect life. I mean, what is your dream for your kid? They could be living that. But if the heart has not been changed by Jesus Christ, it's a hypocrite that you've raised. And I've, I've seen so many parents who just say, well, I just have to make sure that I protect my kid from, you know, make sure there's a really good environment for them. And, and I need to make sure how they're being educated, what kind of things are coming into their life. All those things are from outside. And Jesus says, that's not what defiles them. That's not what defiles them. Now, I'm not talking about, you know, issues of wisdom and certainly 
you know, we don't want our kids to be influenced and, and taught in things that we don't want them to know and believe, right? But Jesus is making very clear, it actually doesn't matter what they learn. They're going to be defiled completely on their own. Okay, so, I mean, that, to me, that's a huge, huge, bold statement to say, especially from a parenting standpoint. So, in other words, if the, the rotten bully kid at school influences them to do something wrong, the bully isn't the one that, that, that instituted it. There was something already in that kid's heart that said, I want to do that. I want to go beat up that other kid with you. You know, I want to go do whatever that you're going to do. I mean, it's like, that's already in the heart. So, mom and dad, you can't blame the bully. I mean, he's got his own problems for sure. But it's all already in your own, it's in your kid's own heart. That, that is where it is. I mean, Jesus could not be any more clear in this. And, and then go through these, these uh, examples he uses at the end. From within, uh, for from within, out of the heart of man come evil thoughts. All these things come from our hearts. None of these things, Jesus is making it, I, I just, I don't think this is unequivocal, or, you know, I don't think there's any question here. Jesus is making it very clear that all of these things come from our hearts. You can't blame anything on the outside for any of these things. Evil thoughts. Sexual immorality. Theft, murder. I mean, just take those, those two and four there. Remember, Jesus said, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. But I'm telling you, don't lust. That is the heart of adultery. The heart of adultery is lust. That's what leads to actual adultery. Murder. The heart of murder is hatred. You, know, you don't just murder somebody because you love them. You know, it's like, you hate them. I hate this person. I want to kill them. That's where it comes from. It starts in the heart. Adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. Guys, our, our problem is in our heart. That's the problem. And if we don't acknowledge that need, okay, like... Like, make sure you drop the pin on the right spot of the map. Then how are you going to get to the destination of the good news? And if I am living my life where on the outside people can look at me and say, man, he's got it together. But inside my heart is completely unchanged. Or there's an area of my life that I'm just holding on to. And I don't want anybody else to see or have or God to take away from me. That's hypocritical. And you are holding back from what God really has for you. The heart of the problem is our sin, and the root of our sin is in our own hearts. We do not change who we are by changing our behavior, right? We need a heart change. We need the heart surgeon. If, if, if you can't admit and acknowledge the need for the physician, then the physician has nothing for you. Remember Jesus said, I, I, I didn't come for the well. Oh, so you're good? All right, I'll move on. It's amazing how he just leaves it. It's like, okay, 
If that's where you want to be, if that's where you want to live. What's wrong with our country? What's wrong with our world? What's wrong in our homes? What's wrong with my life? It's heart. That's, that's again, James 4. What causes these things that we see? It's the passions and the desires that are at the heart level that wage war. That's the bad news, right? Okay, this is like a whole downer passage. That's the bad news. But we got to, like, get there. we got to really get there and allow Jesus to speak into that. And, guys, I don't know about you, but all the time I find myself just kind of building myself a little standard, a little list of things that, man, as long as I'm doing these things, you know, I've got my Bible time in, my prayer time in, and, you know, doing all the things. It's like I feel like I've got it all together. It's like, good person. I'm a good person. And, that, and then my, my, my justification for who I am is all based on that stuff, even if they're good things. But that's not the standard. The standard is perfection. And so we're going to head into... Uh, communion here, and um, I guess the band could, I guess whoever's doing that can come on up, um, but I just want to, as they're coming up, I just want you guys to think about a couple things here. Have you been pretending? Have you been pretending? Do you act like everything is okay while your heart is fall, far from God? You know, basically just Whatever my heart wants, I do. Are you feeling good about yourself because you've erected your own standards? I think there's also a reverse of that where we build our own standards and then we don't meet our standards and we feel bad about ourselves. You're working hard to do your job, to feel good about yourself, to meet your own standards. You might be saying, well, at least... I'm farther down the path and I'm doing a better job than that guy. I got it more together than him or her. Or maybe there's a part of your heart that you haven't given to him. Where, okay, there's a sin that I'm just holding on to. And I may look like I have it together, but man, Jesus, you don't get this. You know, it might be bitterness. It's like I just can't forgive that person. I'm just holding on to that. Or maybe it's lust. It's like, I, I have it together on the external, but inside it's a wreck. Or coveting and greed. You know, and so often with that one, it can, it can look good, right? It can look like we've really got it together. Or pride. Or, or maybe it's fear. You know, maybe, maybe you're overcome with fear and you can't, like, just let God have that. It's like, Jesus, you have that. I give you control of that. Jesus has given us good news. He, he has completely freed us from these things. And, and I think that he hits us hard sometimes, though. Like, I'm not going to let you keep living there. I don't want you to keep living in that lie of that place as if you can do it, as if you are capable of doing it on your own. 
Will you let Jesus into those heart issues? Will you let Jesus into maybe those moments of temptation? You know, where it's like, okay, here comes the temptation. I see it coming down the road. It's coming down the road. I'll see if I can wrestle through it, and then after, I'll make it right with Jesus. What about bringing him in right at the beginning? What about saying, all right, there it is, Jesus. Yep, my heart is full of that thing. It is full of greed. It is full of coveting. It is full of lust. It is full of bitterness or anger or fear. And I see the thing coming that's even bigger than that. Why not bring him in now? Say, Jesus, you got that. Please forgive me of that. Help me to turn from it and follow you. And it is sad to see these Pharisees and these scribes living this way. But we can do that too. I mean, I mean just, just think about the Jewish nation and being rescued out of Egypt and all that God had done for them. And yet they constantly hardened their hearts and turned from God. And that is all so illustrative for us. Remember the passage we looked at last week and all the pictures and the illusions back to the rescue for them from slavery. That's us too. We are in the desert working our way towards the ultimate place of rest. And that, that's our hope. But along the way, there's the temptations and there's the struggles and the, I mean, the imperfections. But he has freed us from all of that if we will acknowledge our need for a physician. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. And Lord, as we now turn our, our hearts towards communion, Lord, I pray that your spirit would right now just speak to us. God, um, is there a part of our heart that we haven't given to you that maybe we're walking around like a hypocrite Holy Spirit expose that Lord allow us and help us to turn back to you and seek your forgiveness God and as we take communion to celebrate the fact that you have given us your life and you paid the price for that fully I don't have to do anything God, or, or maybe, Lord, would you help us to see where we've erected our own standards and our own rules. And because maybe we're doing a little better than the person next to us, God, we feel good about ourselves. I'm a righteous person. Or would you convict us of that, Father, and live by your standards? Lord, don't let us lie to ourselves. Let us follow your rules and your standards because you are God. We are not. And so, Father, as we take this bread and this drink, Lord, that we would be reminded, God, of what you have done for us, for your kingdom and for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.